Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Well, good morning uh, again, everyone. Uh, Boy, what a week it has been, hasn't it? Schools are closed. uh, Gyms are closed. Many of us are working from home. A roll of toilet paper costs more than a gallon of gas. What is happening to our world? Well, each day brings new challenges, uh, new practices, and new restrictions. And there's even a new kind of vocabulary we've all been having to learn. Phrases like social distancing, sheltering at home, and apparently for some of us, a phrase we had never heard of before called washing our hands. But we're glad that we're all in it together. I don't know about you, but I find myself grasping for anything that will give me a sense of normalcy in the midst of this season of uncertainty. You know, I wasn't really uh, keen on this whole toilet paper thing when it first began, I have to admit it. I I really didn't get it. I didn't get the paranoia around the toilet paper. Uh, But then I kind of had my own toilet paper moment. It was a couple days ago this week, my wife said, honey, I'm going to Costco. Uh, It's her regular Costco run. She said, is there anything we need? And without skipping a beat, I instantly said, we desperately need more coffee. And she said, you mean in addition to the five two-pound bags we have in the garage? You see, it was my coffee moment. And we all have, excuse me, it was my toilet paper moment. And we've all had toilet paper moments, haven't we? We all have something that we're looking to, a small thing or a familiar thing, to give us a sense of comfort, a a sense of security, a sense of safety in the midst of all of this. Fear is funny like that. Fear can lead us to do some really strange things. Now, of course, not all fear is bad. In fact, the human brain is wired for fear. God created our minds to be responsive to fear. The human mind has two basic modes. One you might call the alert mode, and the other I like to call the chill mode or the rest mode. When you're camping in Boone and there's a bear in your campground, it triggers your alert mode. Your blood pressure increases, your pulse rate quickens, Cortisol and adrenaline surge into your bloodstream so that you can run. And the good news is in that scenario, you don't necessarily have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than whoever else you're camping with. But you see, this is kind of what the alert mode does. Biologists call it the fight or flight effect. Fear triggers alert mode. And our body goes into a state of stress that is meant to protect us from whatever it is that we are afraid of. Now, in normal situations, after the fear is gone, uh, our body returns to a normal state. Whether that fear was something real in our environment, like a bear, or whether it was something only in our minds, something we imagined, or even a nightmare. After the fear is gone, our bodies are able to rest again, and that cortisol and that adrenaline is able to be cleansed out of our bloodstream. Now, here's the challenge. You see, the high level of uncertainty that we are facing in the world today is triggering for us a kind of alert. It's causing us to stay in a constant state of alert. And this is taking a real toll on many of our bodies, on our minds, and on our relationships. 
Anyone out there feeling just a little bit burned out, a little worn out? Anyone out there, your chest just a little bit tighter or your shoulders just a little bit heavier? In one way or another, we are all carrying fear and anxiety in this season. We're worried about our health. We're worried about our loved ones. We're worried about the economy or our job. Some of us are worried about what the future holds. When will we go back to school? How long will this last? It's touching all of us. So, the question I want to ask with you this morning is simply this. What are we to do with all the fear and anxiety that we're experiencing right now? Well, during these next few minutes we're going to share together, that's the question I want to consider. But before we do that, I wanted to invite you to do something that I do in my times of prayer. Oftentimes I will light a candle just as a reminder of God's presence with me. Jesus' friend John, who wrote the Gospel of John, says that Jesus is the light of the world, that he came into this world, and that the darkness of this world will not overcome the light of Jesus. So maybe as we pray, you might remind yourself of that truth, even by the simple lighting of this candle. But I wanted to invite you with me, before we get into the message, just to breathe for a moment. If you're comfortable, you might close your eyes with me and just breathe in deeply. Breathe in God's peace. Breathe out your fear. Breathe in God's hope and breathe out your worry. Well, in the Gospel of Mark, there's a famous story uh, of when the disciples faced fear, fear unlike any they had ever experienced before. They were out of control, and they didn't know what to do. And that's a story I want to look at with you today. If you've got a Bible at home, we've got the verse up on the screen right now. You might pull out your Bible and read along with me, Mark chapter 4. Let me set the scene here. Jesus had just finished a long day of ministry. He'd been teaching a large crowd at the edge of the lake. He'd been teaching the listeners that day about something he called faith, something he called the faith of a mustard seed. He said faith is kind of like this little seed. When it gets planted, it can grow, and it can become something quite remarkable. At the end of his teaching, Jesus looked at his disciples. And he said, all right, guys, go get the boats. It's time to get out on the lake. And that's where our story picks up in verse 35. That day when evening came, he, that's Jesus, said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now you might ask yourself reading this, the other side of what? Well, it's a good question. The other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had been teaching on the shore, and they had decided to get in the boats and cross over. The Sea of Galilee is about seven miles wide, about 12 miles long, and where they were going from the north in Capernaum to their destination would be about a six-mile journey. Now, Mark gives us some interesting details in this very next verse. Look with me there. He says, leaving the crowd behind, they, that's the disciples, took him along. You see, even though it's night... Even though they're getting into the boats and they can't see where they're going, these guys are not worried one bit. 
They're like, Jesus, listen, we, we got this, man, right? You, when you're on the beach, you're doing that church stuff, you're teaching. Jesus, that's your area. You're in control. You're the expert. But on the lake, Jesus, man, this, this is our bag. This is our thing. This is our lake. These are our boats. You just kick back. Here's a Mountain Dew, some Doritos. You take a nap, Jesus. We got you. And look what happens in the next verse. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And then Mark says this interesting little scene. There were also some other boats with him. And I want to just say a word to the person who, who is often among us, the skeptic or the spiritual explorer. If you're like, how can we trust that this actually happened? What I love about this one line is Mark is saying, hey, listen, there are some other boats there. You fact check me on this one, all right? Because when Mark wrote his gospel, many of the people who witnessed this scene were still alive. He's saying, this is not merely a story. This is history. This really happened. Ask some of the others who were there. Now look what happens next. No one was ready for this. Verse 37. Suddenly a furious squall. That's not an angry bird. That's a storm. A furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The Sea of Galilee, to understand what's happening here, is surrounded mostly by mountains. Storms could sneak up. No one could see them coming. And besides, remember, it's nighttime. So suddenly, out of nowhere, it seems, these experienced fishermen are caught up in a storm, and the waves and the water are overpowering the boat. It's beginning to fill with water, and the boat is going down. They look over at Jesus for help, and what's he doing? Dude's taking a nap on a cushion. Now, I don't know. This is just me. This is not the Bible. This is, I don't know. I don't know if Jesus was really asleep here. Right, he might have just been doing that thing that dads we do when we got young kids and we're trying to take a nap on the couch, you know, where you kind of lay there and you close your eyes and the kids come over and they're, oh, dad's sleeping. Shh, see, his eyes are closed. Shh, don't wake him up, right? I don't know whether Jesus was just laying down resting or if he was really asleep. But either way, he's in the front of the boat laying down and he's got his head on the only flotation device in the entire boat. Well, the disciples, they've been trying to keep their cool, right? They've been trying to hold it together. They've been trying to stay in control as long as possible, but now they can take it no more. They're in full panic mode, and they come to Jesus, and they wake him up, and look at what they say to him. Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Have you ever felt that way? Ever felt like circumstances around you were so out of control that it felt like you were drowning? See, the original language here is very, very interesting. Uh, the original language is a little more wooden. It literally says this, Care not you that we are perishing? The King James says, Matters it not to you that we are perishing? Which kind of sounds like Yoda wrote it. But, but it's anyway, what, what this word perishing is getting at is something so vivid, so powerful. It's this ongoing verb, this verb that is in midstream. Things are getting worse and worse and worse by the minute. The water levels are rising. The boat is going down. Burn body boot camp is closed and they canceled March Madness. How much worse can it get? And then, and then, for those who know this story, what happens next 
is incredible. Look at what Jesus does. Mark says, he, that's Jesus, got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And in that moment, in that moment, something happens in the hearts of the disciples. Something shifts, something changes in the midst of their fear that if we could experience that same shift, if we could experience that same change, we might face our fears in a whole new way. Look at what happens here, verse 40. He said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Then, they were terrified. And Mark makes up a new Greek word that did not exist prior to this. It literally means, then they feared a greater fear. And they asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? You see, the disciples felt utterly out of control. The disciples felt way in over their heads. There was nothing they could do to save themselves. But what Jesus wanted them to realize in this moment was that there was someone greater than the storm in the boat with them. Someone who was much greater, much more worthy of fear and awe and reverence than any old storm on the Sea of Galilee. I was thinking about this idea of just how big God is. Because I think today we suffer from something that one author calls the shrunken God syndrome. We have shrunken God down too small. We forget that he is bigger than the storm. I remember when my youngest was about four years old, he's always been my mathematically minded child. He loves comparisons. What's bigger? What's greater? And one day we were riding in the car and he said, Dad, how big is God? It's a pretty good question, isn't it? I said, well, Jeremiah, he, he, he's really, really big. And he said, well, and he pointed. We were living in Los Angeles at the time. He pointed to the mountains. He said, Dad, is, is God bigger than those mountains? I said, oh, oh yeah, he's, he's bigger than those mountains. He said, well, God, uh, is, uh, Dad, is God bigger than Los Angeles? I said, oh, yeah, he's bigger than Los Angeles. And then he said, is, is God bigger than the whole world? I said, yes, Jeremiah, God's bigger than the whole world. And then you could see his brain begin to move, and he paused. And he said, Dad... Is God bigger than even you? And I said, whoa, 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 Jeremiah, let's not get carried away now, right? <laughs> but of course the answer is yes. He's bigger than me. He's bigger than you. He's bigger than the storms, and he's greater than our fear. What Jesus wanted the disciples to learn in this storm was that there was someone greater than the storm with them in the boat. And that's what I hope you hear today, too. That there is someone greater than your fear that is with you even right now. God is with you in the midst of this storm. God was with Abraham when he left home in search of the promised land. 
He was with Moses when he confronted Pharaoh. He was with Caleb and Samuel when they crossed the Jordan. He was with David when he faced the giant. And he was with Rahab within the walls of Jericho. He was with Daniel in the lion's den. He was with Paul and Silas in prison. And he was with Jesus when he was crucified and laid in a tomb. And he walked with Jesus as Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death and walked out alive. There is someone that is greater than the storm that is with you in the boat. And my friend, because of that truth, because of that reality, we no longer must be slaves to fear. And if there was someone other than the cameraman in this room right now, someone might shout amen. There's someone greater than the storm. And I know you're afraid. I'm afraid. But we do not have to be slaves to that fear. One of my boys asked me, this week, he said, Dad, why, why did God allow this coronavirus? And the truth is, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know why this storm. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. God will see you through it. He will be faithful. He will never forsake those he loves. And if we will let him, if we will let him, he will use this storm as he uses every storm in our lives to demonstrate his faithfulness, to demonstrate his goodness, and to grow our confidence and faith in him. I believe with all my heart that that is his invitation to us. God is wanting to do something in the midst of this storm. He's wanting to teach us how we can move from fear to greater faith. Remember the mustard seed? He's wanting to grow that seed in you. So how do we do that? Well, I want to give us just four very quick things, four things that we can do this week to partner with God's Holy Spirit as He grows that faith in us. Each of these is one word. If you're taking notes, you want to write these down. Here's the first one. The first thing we can do is simply breathe. Breathe. You know, one of the most helpful things we can do for ourselves and for each other in this time is to normalize this truth that we are all afraid. That we all have fear and anxiety in one way or another. Now, we all process that fear differently. It shows up in different ways. There's someone living in my home, a woman who has some kids, she'll remain nameless. Her way of dealing with fear is to go around spraying every door handle every 10 minutes with a, a bottle of Clorox. That's how she processes that fear. There's a man in my home who's a father. He processes his fear by eating lots of bluebell ice cream. We all process that fear in different ways. But it's okay to be afraid. My way of handling it might be different than yours. What would it look like for you to extend that grace and permission, not just to yourself, but to those in your household? The second thing we can do is this. We can do something. We can do something. One of the great challenges of this season is that our lives feel much more out of control than they ever have before. Many of the things we used to do, we are no longer able to do. And that is a very, very humbling and powerless place to be. Just as a side note, one of the things I've been learning in this season is how to stand in a kind of solidarity with the poor and the oppressed in our world. The poor live in a constant state of not being in control. 
Their options are few, if any. And this is an opportunity for me to learn, to identify with the poor, and God, for God to use that to grow in me a kind of compassion for those whose lives are out of control. But one of the important steps we can take in this season is learning to separate those things that we can do from those, the things that we can't. What are the things that we can control and what are the things that we cannot control? Let me give you a couple examples. Some of the things we cannot control are what the economy is going to do, what the restrictions are going to be, how long they're going to last, when schools will reopen. We can't control whether the Panthers will actually have a quarterback that can win a football game this fall. These are some things we cannot control. But there are other things that we can control, things that we can do, things like washing our hands, practicing social distancing, taking a shower in the morning and putting my pants on, exercising. There are lots of things that are within our control that we can do. These daily rhythms are an essential part of coping with, of managing the fear and anxiety in this season of uncertainty. What are some of the practical things you might make a part of your daily rhythm this week? The third thing that we can do is we can help. We can help. Fear tends to drive us inward. Fear causes us to isolate and go dark. But love always calls us out. Love always sends us out. As a church, we follow a Savior who modeled not self-preservation, but self-giving love. Now, some of the needs that we can help meet are going to be physical needs. You've heard about many of those already today. Groceries, food, yard work. And of course, we need, we must do these things thoughtfully, carefully, so that we don't do unintended harm even as we seek to do good. But there's a whole nother category of good that we can do, a whole nother category of needs we can meet, the emotional needs and the spiritual needs of those around us. The American Psychological Association has identified one of the greatest threats in this season of isolation is the emotional toll that our aloneness will take, especially for those living alone. What is one thing you could do today to love and care for a neighbor or someone in need? Is it a phone call? Is it a note? Is it a text or a FaceTime? How could you be a neighbor to the lonely in your neighborhood? Well, there's one final thing that I want to touch on, and that is simply this. We can connect. We can connect with God daily. You know, one of the great gifts in this season is that we have all been invited to an unintended retreat. Our lives have slowed down, many of us, our, our, our sphere, our circle of operations has shrunk. And in this smaller circle is an opportunity to deepen our connection with God. And we need it more than ever. Through prayer, through scripture study, maybe just lighting a candle and quieting your heart. How could you connect daily with God? This has been my rhythm this week, every morning. I've been meditating on this simple truth from Psalm 46, verse 1. The psalmist writes, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. How might you find refuge and strength in God today?
I wanted to end our time with a time of prayer. Uh, I've invited my friend Nathan to come and share with us a song that he wrote called God of All Comfort. It's a song that's available on our Westlake worship album. And I asked Nathan if he wouldn't sing it over us today as a kind of prayer. And I want you to consider letting this be your prayer today as well. Maybe as Nathan sings this, you simply want to bring with you the fears and worries and anxieties that you've been carrying. What would it look like to name those fears and to lay them in the hands of Jesus, the one who is greater than the storm? Maybe you also want to use this time to pray for those who are on the front lines, those who are making themselves vulnerable for the sake of those who are vulnerable. Our nurses, our doctors, our hospital staff, our janitorial staff, food service providers, first responders, so many folks who are practicing a self-giving kind of love just as Jesus has called us to. What if we let this be a time where we lift them up in prayer and ask God to be their comfort? Take a moment now as we enter into this prayer. Maybe you even want to write your prayers or text your prayers on the screen in the chat boxes. But let's go to God the source of our comfort in times of trouble. Oh God of all comfort Your voice as clear as it is loud God of all Tell spirit
Tell fear you 